Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. We really want to be able to focus people's attention on Ukraine because of the the grave danger of a possible war, a, a broader, wider war in Ukraine, but it could easily become a regional and even global conflict. So all of that is coming in the rest of this week. I think that people should recognize the centrality or the importance of Ukraine because the most important part of the issue for Russia is, of course, the geography of Ukraine. And as we've talked about on the show, and many of you will have already heard some of this, Ukraine is a vast space. It's a demographically and geographically divided country. It was the second largest republic in the Soviet Union after Russia. It was considered to be the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Crimea, which, as you all know, had a referendum in 2014 where the people voted overwhelmingly to associate or affix Crimea to Russia following the coup d'etat, the right-wing anti-Russian coup d'etat that took power in February 2014. Crimea was always, always part of Russia, as were the eastern parts of Ukraine. Certainly the people are ethnically Russian, culturally Russian, speak Russian, but even as early as the 10th century or the 11th century, Ukraine and Russia have been very connected. In fact, in the 11th century, Kiev was the capital of what was then called Rus or Russia. And Kiev became the capital of Russia or Kiev Rush as late as 1625. So the idea that the United States and NATO would be using Ukraine, Kiev, and the eastern parts of Ukraine, which are, again, demographically Russian, as a staging ground for very advanced weapons, which are pouring into Ukraine now. That started earlier. By the way, Barack Obama didn't do it. Obama would not send the level of high-tech weapons that the Trump administration later sent to Ukraine. Obama was worried. He was pushing the envelope with Russia, but Obama was, I don't know if it was so much that he was a wiser or saner head in the U.S. government, but the times were less confrontational. There was still a little bit of room to have a nuanced position towards Russia And all of that changed after 2014, or started to change after 2014. So so you see, even last week, when Biden at his press conference said, oh, if it's a minor incursion, meaning from Russia, we'll see what we're going to do, meaning it wouldn't necessarily be all-out war with Russia if it was a, quote, minor incursion. And as the front page of the Washington Post then proclaimed, His comments elicited an uproar in Washington, and the uproar was not because he was threatening to go to war 
with Russia, the uproar, according to the Washington Post, and this was big headline on the front page, the uproar was over the idea that he would possibly not go to a major war with Russia. And that shows how the politicians' political space has closed in Washington. So it wasn't so much that Obama was so different from Biden, but the political climate inside the imperial establishment has shifted very dramatically to the right in one way, and also very much hardened in its opposition to to Russia or having good relations with Russia. So in tonight's discussion, and then again, we talk about it a little bit in the show tomorrow and then on Wednesday in depth, we were glad to talk with all of you about why this is happening, what's going on, what the Russians are thinking, what Washington is thinking. And again, it's not because the U.S. wants to go to war with Russia. What the U.S. wants to do is assert its right to place advanced weapons into Ukraine and allow Ukraine at some point to join NATO, which would allow all of NATO's most advanced weapons and advanced missiles to be placed in Ukraine. And Putin made it clear at his end-of-the-year press conference that that's a red line, meaning the Russians are not going to allow that. They put it in writing before the U.S.-Russian negotiations that have taken place in the last few weeks that ended up going nowhere. They put it in writing. That's what they want. They want to guarantee that there will not be advanced weapons placed in Ukraine and that Ukraine will not be admitted into NATO. And the Biden administration is saying, No, you don't have the right to boss Ukraine around. You don't have the right to boss us around. Whether Ukraine joins NATO is strictly a matter between Ukraine and NATO. So Putin is basically saying, look, if we let this happen, if we don't create this red line now, that means Russia will never, ever again live in peace. Because as long as there are advanced missiles on its border with a flight time of two minutes or three minutes to their targets in Russia, how can Russia ever relax? It will require Russia to constantly divert more and more resources into its defense, meaning taking money and initiatives, economic initiatives away from consumer goods and other parts of the economy. Even if they match the Americans dollar for dollar, and right now they're only spending you know, less than one-tenth of what the U.S. spends on defense, but even if they match the U.S. dollar for dollar, they would never have peace and real security. The U.S. ditched the Intermediate Nuclear Range Missile Treaty a couple of years ago, and that was the treaty, for those of you who are old enough to remember, that Gorbachev and Reagan signed in 1986, I believe, But that took those missiles that were in Europe, that were placed in Europe in the first years of the Reagan administration, 81, 82, 83, the missiles that encircled the Soviet Union, and those intermediate-range missiles, meaning they flew 200, 300, 400 miles, not intercontinental ballistic missiles, they could reach their targets back then in the 1980s in six minutes. And the U.S. had targeted every Soviet political office. That meant the offices of every communist party in every city and town, every city council, every agency of governance in the Soviet Union was targeted with these intermediate range missiles. 
And the Soviets really thought this meant war was coming because if your enemy has missiles that can hit you in six minutes, nuclear missiles, and they're targeting your whole country, you don't have the luxury of human intervention. You have to put your own defense system on a computerized artificial intelligence triggered mechanism such that if the missiles are detected, you respond immediately. You don't wait two minutes or three minutes or five minutes. I mean, you can just imagine the level of tension that this creates for any country. Again, if Putin said at his press conference, if we did this at the U.S.-Mexican border or the U.S.-Canadian border, put advanced missiles right on your border, you wouldn't allow it and we're not going to allow it. Anyway, that's the reason we're at this danger point. That's why Russia has drawn a red line. Biden can't even step back a little bit. If he does, he gets politically roasted by the Washington Post and the Democrats and the Republicans. So, you know, both sides have climbed an escalation ladder. The U.S. climbed it first. Russia had to respond by amassing troops. Neither side, it appears, is going to step down. It's hard to get off that ladder. So that's what creates a perilous situation. Anyway, I'll stop there and then we can open it up. We have one question that's about Ukraine. So I'm going to go to that first. I think you may have in some ways answered it just now, but I think actually laying it out this plainly might be helpful anyway. And then I actually have a question about Ukraine as well. So regarding the situation in Ukraine, I go back and forth between two narratives. The idea that Russia is moving closer to invading Ukraine is just the standard fear-mongering of the type the U.S. engages in periodically. There's no basis for it, and everybody should best ignore it. That's narrative one. Narrative two, the NATO encroachment of Russia, approaching its borders steadily since the 1990s, has reached a point of posing a threat to Russia that can no longer be ignored. Russia will indeed invade Ukraine because it has been left with no other choice. Which of these two views seems more realistic to you? And then... I'm wondering where you think, like, look in your crystal ball and like, where is this going to go? Like, if we're climbing the escalation ladder, like, what's next? So Russia says they have absolutely no plans to invade Ukraine. I don't see why they would invade Ukraine. They, they didn't invade Ukraine in 2014. There may have been, you know, irregular forces that were supporting the people in in the east, in the Donbass, the people who were being targeted by these right sector fascists. But I don't think Russia has any plans to invade. I think Russia drew a line on Crimea because Crimea is where the Black Sea naval base was. That's Russia's largest military installation in Crimea. So when Khrushchev transferred Crimea to Ukraine from Russia in 1954 after Stalin died. I think he did it as sort of um, trying to show goodwill towards the Ukrainian Republic. Of course, Khrushchev had a lot of roots there, but it was an administrative transfer and it didn't mean anything really. It was like taking part of Pennsylvania and making it part of New Jersey because they were all one country. So, you know, that's where the Black Sea fleet is. That's the Black Sea naval base for the what was the Soviet Navy and now is the Russian Federation. And I think that the U.S. didn't think through what the Russian response would be to their coup, like in February 2014. So you had 
John McCain and Victoria Nuland, the Democrats and Republicans, literally in the Maidan Square in downtown Kiev, handing out cookies to the protesters, encouraging the protesters. And then when the fascist coup happens on February 22nd, 2014, the Americans say, this is the greatest day for Ukrainian democracy, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they had not thought through that the Russians would respond. I think they just felt, hey, now we have Putin by the throat and we're going to take Crimea, the Black Sea naval base, and make it essentially a U.S. base or a NATO base or a hybrid base. But it wouldn't be a Russian base any longer if Ukraine, the new right-wing government, was applying for membership into NATO, which it was, and it declared these forces had declared as early as 2008 that they wanted to be part of NATO, just as many of the other former Soviet republics have been incorporated into NATO. So Putin was like, no, this isn't, we're not going to let our biggest military installation become a base used against us on the Black Sea. So he allowed the referendum to go forward. And that is what the U.S. calls the invasion of Ukraine, is the referendum. There were probably military forces, special operation forces from the Russian Federation Army that were assisting their Russian brethren in the eastern areas that were being shelled by the fascist-led forces. I mean, there was thousands of people in East Ukraine were killed. I mean, who killed them? It wasn't Russia. And the U.S. is sending advanced weapons to the Ukrainian government not to use against Russia. In the short term, they're being used against Ukrainians in East Ukraine. So I think Russia is in a position where they can't, they have to signal that they're not going to allow the U.S. to use Ukraine as a staging ground. But they have no interest in invading a little strip of territory. I mean, look at a map of Russia, how big it is. It goes all the way from the eastern border of Ukraine all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Why would Russia risk World War III in order to capture like 10 more miles of territory? That doesn't make any sense. That's not in Russia's vital interest. They are under pressure not to let the Russian-speaking people in the east of Ukraine, who are, who are understood by all Russians to be Russians, they can't really let them be slaughtered without helping them. So there's that. But the, the real, quote, aggression by Putin was allowing Crimea to vote and to reaffix to Russia. And I think the U.S. didn't think it through about what was going to actually happen to Crimea. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 